Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Uh, you picked a great day to come because we're going to be embarking over the next several weeks in, uh, into a brand new series entitled Filled. Filled. Now, many of you guys may not know this, but Lent is kind of this 40 days before Easter, and it's kind of a, um, a tradition that's kind of lost a lot of its heart and value uh, over time. And so we're going to kind of recapture uh, the reality and the purpose of, the, of this season. And I really believe that the Lord is going to lead us to a place of fullness on the journey. And so I, I want to speak to you today a little bit from this idea, this idea of empty but filled. Empty, but filled. Look at your neighbor and say, empty. Come on, you got to participate. Empty. Look at your second choice and say, filled. All right, let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. God, we are not here to play church. We're not here to go through a religious routine. God, we want to hear from heaven. Um, and so I thank you that uh, though we all may be in a different place, some may not even know you here. Some may have been walking with you for a long time. It doesn't even matter because you love us and care about us so much that you meet us where we're at. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us in a very real way that we would not leave the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I just got back from the, the Holy Land, from Israel, not too long ago. And one of, one of my favorite places in Israel is a really unlikely place. Uh, let me show you a picture of it. It's actually the Judean wilderness, the desert. And it's kind of interesting because people go to Israel for a lot of different things. But the desert, it's one of the things that people see. But a lot of times it's not a focal point because it's the desert. It's very hot. It's very dry. It's very empty. Um, but one specific spot in the desert, it's, it's called Qumran. It's one of my favorite spots, and I'll tell you why. Qumran is loaded with caves. Does anybody like to explore? All right, like three of you. Great. So, so in Qumran, you can see on the hillside that all throughout this desert country, there's a ton of caves. But this, this, this place is really special because there was a cave back in the 1940s that as a young Bedouin shepherd was out tending his goats, he lost one. And many times what would happen is goats would uh, navigate or find themselves uh, walking into caves aimlessly. Sometimes they would fall into caves. And so when they can't find a goat in the Judean wilderness, they're searching many times in these different caves. And so in the 1940s, this young Bedouin shepherd, he, he did what any young shepherd would do when they're trying to find their goat in a cave. He'd throw rocks into the cave, right? I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, maybe it's just that we're lazy, don't want to go into the cave. And then I thought, man, what if you throw a rock and you hit your goat? Is that how they know that it's in there? Because it's like, <laughs> I don't know. But nevertheless, he threw a rock into this one cave, and he heard something unlike he's ever heard before. It sounded like his rock hit some type of pottery. So he went in to further investigate uh, because, you know, they do like exploring. If you're a shepherd in the Judean wilderness, you love exploration. Are you tracking with that? And so he goes into the cave to explore, and sure enough, he finds this, this, this piece of pottery, and located inside of this pottery is several scrolls. Now, now this is a huge find uh, for archaeologists when they find any type of document. Like, it's cool to find artifacts. When you find documents, this is huge. But more so for archaeology, this was huge for the story and the narrative of Scripture, um, both for the story of the Bible and for the skeptic, because what was found 
in uh, this, this capsule, in this, this clay or whatever type of pottery capsule that it was, was books of the Old Testament. And it was so profound because these books dated back a thousand years uh, to the current copies that we had at the time. So meaning the copies that we had, these were a thousand years older. And they lined up with perfect harmony. So it was huge. I mean, for people who were skeptical about, you know, the transmission of Scripture and how, you know, can it be passed down um, throughout generations and not lose its context, not lose its authenticity. I mean, this was a huge slap say, it's real. It works. And, and I thought what's so amazing is how so much life and power, I mean, we're talking about the very words of God, that God's living and active word is found in such an empty and a desolate place. Incredible. You know, I, I think when we think about this idea of emptiness, none of us get excited about being empty. Anybody? Like, I don't wake up every day as like, Lord, I just can't wait to be empty. Right? It's, it's kind of the opposite, if we're honest. Like, none of us like to have empty pockets. Are you tracking with me on that? Especially if you're going out to lunch with your friend, you don't want them to have empty pockets. Like if you go on your Chase app, on your account, you don't want to find yourself with an empty bank account. We just don't like empty. We don't like empty promises. Come on, this is the worst. How many of you guys wake up in the morning, you get into your car and, and see that there's an empty gas tank? Jackie, <clears throat> it's horrible. I hate that. It's the worst. And now I got three little kiddos, three little girls running around, and, and they're old enough to get their own food now. So now it's very likely that I open up the cabinet, and as I grab a box of cereal, how many of you guys know the box is in there, but there's no cereal? <laughs> we just don't like this idea of, of being empty. Now, gentlemen, just, just have fun with me for a minute. Come on. How many of you guys like to empty the trash? Right? <laughs> you guys like to do that? <laughs> We just don't like this idea of being empty. And, and I think that the kingdom of this world really kind of reinforces that idea. And let me clarify. I'm going to be talking a little bit about kingdoms. And kingdom is just another word for administration, another word for a, a system of values, a way of doing things. And in the world's kingdom, all the marketers are not pushing us towards emptiness. They're pushing us towards bigger, towards fuller Right? When it comes to our homes, when it comes to our cars, I mean, everything is just like, you got it when it comes to our, our finances, just fuller, fuller, fuller. And it's just the way that the world works. I, I mean, in our world today, you don't get to enter into places or you don't get access to certain places if you don't have something of value. Right? You, you need something of value. If you're going to go to college, you have to have good grades. You have to bring something to the table. You have to be a great athlete, right, if you're going to get that. You have to have the finances to be able to pay it. Or, as we've seen in the news, you got to have right connections, right? <laughs> Too soon. But you can't get in unless you have something of value, something to offer. Now, now this even happens if you're going to, after church, it's a beautiful day. I don't know why you would do this, but if you went to the movies after church on a beautiful day like this, don't do it. Go outside. Go play. But if you go to the movies, you're going to walk in and the lady there, the gentleman's going to say, yeah, come on in. But uh, first, I need your ticket. You can't get in unless you have something of value. 
Now, now, even restaurants, restaurants are a little bit more confusing because you sit down at a restaurant and they actually, you order your food and they bring it to you before you pay for anything. Now, in my lifetime, I've been to one or two restaurants that they actually don't have the prices on the menu. And like, I always wanted to mess with them like, man, I thought this thing was free. Right, you got no prices. But, but in reality, you're going to eat. And then they're not going to simply, they'll let you in, but they won't let you out unless you have something of value, unless you pay that check. It's just the way the kingdoms of this world operate, the administration, the system, the what we value. Now, it's also the same in, in world religions. They operate on the same system based on performance, that God is pleased with me based on my performance, based on what I do, that I have to earn my way, that I have to do certain things, that I have to play the role a certain way, and then maybe God or the gods, however they may worship, would say, we'll let you in, or I'm pleased with you. But it's interesting, in the kingdom of God, it works completely different. Like as a follower of Jesus, Jesus came and turned that whole idea of a kingdom upside down. He came and he did what, what I like to call a complete reversal of values. A complete reversal of values. See, in the kingdom of God, praise God for this, you don't get in unless you realize you have nothing to offer. Like, that's good for guys like me. Some of you guys who are very, you know, successful and have it all together, maybe it's not so good for you. But it's great for me and this reality that, that in the kingdom of God, you don't get in until you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer God. Not until you realize that, God, there's nothing of my works, of my good deeds that I could present before you as justified. See, it's, it's in the kingdom of God that not until you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt with nothing to offer God that you actually get spiritually rich. It's not until you actually forfeit the right to determine your own life and throw yourself completely at the mercy of God that you get the power of God. I mean, this is how the kingdom of God is received. It's not by bringing something to the table. It's realizing you have nothing to offer. And, and God says, man, I'm so glad you finally get it. Come here, right? But it's not only received this way. It's also the way that th this kingdom, this administration was, was accomplished. It's not just the way that we receive the kingdom, but how it was achieved. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus comes to save humanity, to rescue them from the wrath of God as a result of their sin. How? He doesn't come like every other king or kingdom to, to rule, to reign, to dominate according to the world's values, according to the kingdoms of this world's values. But he, no, he comes with the complete reversal of that. He completely turns that upside down. He comes and how does he save the world? By being tortured. By being brutally murdered. By becoming weak. By suffering on a cross. I mean, Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head at night. I love how Paul says it in Philippians. He says it like this. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man. Like it doesn't get any more empty for God to step outside of heaven into bodily form of his creation to serve them. That's empty. That's lowly. 
That's completely different how we're, we're used to kings coming to, to conquer, to rule, and to reign. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking right now, you're thinking, man, well, I don't like that kingdom too much. I don't like that kingdom of God. I, that doesn't sound too exciting. Tortured and weak and servants and empty. Like, that doesn't sound very appealing. I kind of like the world's kingdom, you know, full and bigger and better and all that good stuff. Now, now, now here's, here's the deal, though. Is, is what we're really saying in that tension is, no, I, I want a life of fullness. Like, I want to live a filled life. And, and the truth, truthfully speaking, so do I. All of us do. God has, God has put that inside of our hearts. Many of us, listen, apart from Christ, will find ourselves day after day longing and, and wondering and feeling this gravity of there's got to be more to life than this. Right? Like God has put that on the inside of us. God has put eternity in the heart of every single man and woman. And, and, and here's the beauty. Jesus wants you to have a full life. Can I just tell you that God wants you to have a full life more than you want to have a full life. God wants you to have a life of fullness, a life of abundance. God, listen, Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Or to have it to the full. But here's what I need you to know as we journey together over the next several weeks. Is I need you to get this reality in your head. Because the way that that's accomplished simply contradicts the way that the world encourages us to find fullness. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. That a life of fullness starts with the reality of emptiness. That a life of fullness starts with the reality of emptiness. Now, I'm 39 years old. So depending on what statistic you look at, some determined me a millennial. I love those statistics that include the 39-year-olds because it makes me still feel like I got some young, you know, fresh, vibrant blood in my body. But a lot of times it's normally 18 through 35 would be considered millennials. Now, what they're saying about our generation is that we're really restless. Like we like to move. We don't like to stay still. You know, things are constantly shifting and constantly changing and uh, here, here are some stats I want to show you when it comes to millennials. Like right now, 50% of them live somewhere besides their hometown. 80% have moved more than once, not including college. 41% of those who move say it's temporary, meaning I'm only going to be here for a little bit. And the majority of them say the reason why is to have a fresh start or change in lifestyle. Because we just live in a culture where things are constantly changing so much, we get bored and things get old really quick. And they said it's, it's not because of marriage, a job, or a home. I just want to experience change all the time, fresh starts. And, and there was just this young lady who, this was her life. She was an adventurer. Do we have any adventurers? Well, according to your response to the desert, I don't think we have many adventurers in this place. But this was her heart. She just wanted change all the time. She wanted to experience new things. And I love what she wrote. Look what she wrote. She says, each new move and new beginning meant new people, new jobs, and new situations, which had to be started from scratch each time. It was supposed to feel like freedom, but instead all the newness, all the time, felt eerily like being lost. Newness was supposed to make life exciting, not empty. But because I was perpetually starting over, I lacked even ties to people to share new discoveries with. Exploration, exploration and all that it entails, finding yourself, finding a home, finding love, finding likes and dislikes, 
only works if we give our discoveries a chance to strengthen their hold on us. I, I, I love this picture because here's a young girl that all of her ambitions, all of her adventures had left her empty. And we would say, that's not a great place to be. Or is it? Because here in this place of emptiness, it's causing her to look at a system that's broken. It's causing her to, to, to reevaluate her life, her values, her, you know, the, the, the things that she's putting her trust and confidence in as a hope of fulfillment. And so in this place of emptiness, it's almost posturing her to say there's got to be more to life than this. And I think that as we look at the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, you guys might wonder, if, especially if you're doing the one-year Bible, like why in the world is Leviticus still there, right? It's just all these laws, like what is the purpose of that? Many of you guys who started trying to read your Bible, you stop at Leviticus every time you start back over in Genesis because then you go, like you got the first three books of the Bible down. But you get to Leviticus and it's like, uh, some of you guys are looking at me like, what is Leviticus? Um, <laughs> That's why I'm preaching this message. <laughs> but it's a list of all these laws that God requires. And it's there because it's, it's, it's a great reminder to you and I that we'll never be able to hit that mark. Let, let me tell you what Paul says about the law in Romans. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. He said, in fact... It was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. And, and what, what Paul is, is describing here is that the law operates a lot like a mirror. A lot like a mirror. Now I'm going to lose you for a moment because all you guys are going to try to find yourself right now. There you are. But the law of God operates a lot like a mirror. In this, it reflects the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the holiness of God. As you read through it, like, whoa. But then at the very same time, it also reveals the sinfulness and the brokenness of humanity. It also reveals our sin that as we look at the law of God, we realize that, man, if that's God's target, we all fall short. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Nobody could hit that mark. Now, you might say that's kind of depressing. Why would I want to look at the law? Because it postures us in a, in a position of emptiness, insufficiency that causes us to reevaluate what we're putting our trust in. It, it, it's almost like a schoolmaster that moves us to this reality that we desperately need a Savior. As we're looking at the law and we're looking at our heart, we see our insufficiency, we see our desperation, we see our brokenness, we see our sin. And it moves us to a place to say, surely we need a Savior. I need a Savior. You see, I think all of us have had moments. Anybody ever experienced a time where maybe you're at a party or, or you're at a family function and you are in the building and you are feeling yourself? Know that you guys ever been there where, where, man, your dress is on point? Like you just feel like you got the perfect fit on? Like you got a fresh haircut, your wit is a little bit sharper that day? 
right? You're in conversation and it's just flowing, especially like maybe there's a significant potential other who's at that gathering. And you're just feeling on top of the world. You're feeling yourself. And then the moment comes. The moment comes where the person that you're conversating with says, hey, uh, you got a little something in your Right? Got a little something in your nose. Or you got something stuck in your tooth. And then it's the most awkward moment because they're looking at you and you're thinking, man, I don't have a napkin. I don't, do I just go for it? And they're looking at you like, what are you going to do? And you're looking like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's the worst feeling in the world. All of your confidence just goes, Hey, but then, then, the, then the second moment comes because they're good friends. They say, hey, listen, there's a restroom right over there. Make your way to the restroom. Handle your business and we'll pick up this conversation later, right? And so you go into the restroom and you went from a place of fullness to a place of emptiness. But then there comes a place of gratitude. Because you're like, thank you, Lord, that they did not let me stay like that for the rest of the night. Right, because there's nothing worse than being in the building, filling yourself, and you get home at the end of the night and realize that nobody said anything. So at this church, if you see somebody, you have permission to say, the restroom's right over there. Like, don't leave us hanging here. It's a safe place. But we're so grateful for that. Why? Because we're able to, to see the flaw and then make the adjustment. We, we have to see this reality, ladies and gentlemen, that, that a life of fullness starts with the reality of emptiness. Because as we see who we are in light of who God is, it reminds us that there's nothing of value that we could bring that would say, God, you owe me. And this is where the power lies in the Christian life. This is where the power lies. If you look at Jesus' words... Now, I want you to get this picture. He's a little bit north off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's in the, on, on the hillside. It's, it's beautiful. It's probably one of the most majestic views in all of Israel, one of my favorite spots. And um, they, they call it the, the Mount of Beatitudes. And this is where Jesus was actually administrating a new administration. He was declaring, hey, guys, I know that this is the way the kingdoms of the world work, but let me tell you how the kingdom of God operates. Let me let you know how this kingdom operates. And it's a complete reversal of what you probably think. And look what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're an innocent bystander just kind of checking this thing out and you're hearing this, it's almost like everything the world deems as weak or empty, the Lord said, no, no, there's blessing and fullness. But it's, it's, it's a complete reversal of values. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, what, how is being poor in spirit a great thing? How is mourning and meek and hungering and thirsting? Like, how is this good? 
Now, we don't have to die, time to dive into all of these, but I, I want to focus just on blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because here's the reality. You can approach God one of two ways. You can approach God with this attitude that would say, hey, Lord, I know that I have nothing of value to offer you. That there's nothing that I have to bring to you that would say you owe me. In fact, Lord, you would be justified in cutting and writing me off. And so as a result of that, I fully throw myself on what Jesus has done, his work on the cross and by the resurrection, on the gr very grace of God, I throw myself completely on the work of Christ because I have nothing to offer. It's a poor in spirit. But then there's a second option, and, and Tim Keller calls this a middle class spirit. Middle class spirit. And the middle class spirit says something like this. Hey, God, um, I am authentic in my deeds. Like, I'm, I'm serving people. Like, this, listen, even followers of Jesus can fall in and pray back to this mentality and mindset. And it's, it's this reality like, hey, God, I, I've, I've been pretty good. I, I've, I'm doing some deeds. I'm serving people. I'm, you know, I think I'm living a pretty decent life. And I'm authentic, like I'm not just trying to be religious about it. And so as a result of that, like you owe me a little bit. Like a little bit of comfort, God. Come on, like I'm your boy, I'm your guy. Right, you see what I did last week? Come on. Right, like you, you owe me at least, at least like, I know I had to go through some trials, but not a ton of trials. Like just, just a little bit, right, just hook me up. And, and here, here's the tragedy with that. The tragedy is when we see through a middle-class lens, so to speak, what ends up happening is we will always see Jesus as an example, but we'll never see him as our substitution. We will always see Jesus as an example on how to live, but we'll never see him as a substitution for our life. And that's where the power lies. See, apart from that, you miss out on the reality that the power of God comes from this reality that Jesus, listen to me, he exchanged his fortune for our emptiness. That's a beautiful exchange. Like where we should have been rejected by the Father, he said, I'm going to take your rejection so that you could be welcomed. Like the punishment for our sins bearing the wrath of God as a result of them, he said, listen, I'm going to take that punishment and I'm going to take that, that sin, as the Bible says very clearly, that he who knew no sin became sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to give you my righteousness, my right standing with the Father. It's this great exchange. And when we, when we understand that reality, when Jesus just isn't a great example, but he becomes the substitute, that he, he took our place, it radically changes how you live your life, ladies and gentlemen. It, it radically changes, because here's the deal, when you see that Jesus has exchanged his fortune for your emptiness, all of a sudden what ends up happening is you can exchange yours for other people. It changes how we relate and engage with one another. Like when you're confident and secure in your relationship with God and your position in heavenly places, meaning, man, you have eternal security in Christ and everything that's his belongs to you and you don't deserve any of it. 
that changes your generosity. And the world starts to look at you like, you're a little bit radical. Like, you should be saving your money, not helping those people. We become way more generous with our heart. And so what do we do? We put our necks out for people a lot more than we should. And what happens? A lot of times they get, our hearts get trampled on. and We have to, you know, face some, sometimes difficulty and rejection and betrayal. We start to love people so much that we actually are their friend and tell them the truth in love. And then they get upset at us and frustrated. But, but the whole time we're saying, no, no, we just want you to experience. I just want you to know that, man, this great fortune that I don't deserve has been given to me. And I want you to experience that reality. And, and the comforts of life are great, like comforts and wealth and nothing's wrong with those things in and of itself. You know, I love to be liked by people. I love, I mean, nothing's wrong with those things, but the difference is they don't own me anymore. They don't control us. So when they're taken away or they're forfeited, we're not devastated. Right? And so when, when you understand the power uh, of this great exchange, that he exchanged his fortune for our emptiness, it even changes the way you deal with trials and trouble. Because the kingdom of this world says that when you're entering a difficult time or a troubling time or, or, or it's just, it's really hard in life right now, the, the kingdom of the world would say, see, it's all meaningless. This is ridiculous. What's going on? And, and they, they lose hope. They lose sight. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. Man, when we're feeling a little bit impoverished, when we're feeling some weakness, when we're going through a tough, difficult time, when, when we're feeling the, the weight and the gravity, when we're feeling the pressure, when, when we're feeling uh, the, the weeping and the mourning, see, as a follower of Jesus in that place, we realize that the kingdom of God is near. The world says, look at what's happening. It's, God is far away. And the follower of Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is near. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, are, you guys, are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? And, and so, so think about this. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. When was the last time that you really had a significant moment with God where you were seeking him, where you were pursuing him, where you started to realize the, the sin that was inside of your heart? When was that? When was the last time? See, on many occasions, those moments don't happen when the sun is shining. Those moments don't happen in, in, in times of great excitement and everything is good. And a lot of times those moments come when it's not so good. But in those times, what happens? The kingdom of God is near. To sum it up, Tim Keller says it like this. He says, a Christian will have such strength in Christ that by the world standards, a Christian will look reckless. They're not afraid of weeping. They're not afraid of emptiness and sacrifice. Because they know that the kingdom of God makes progress in their life and the life of others when that happens. It's not like we're just embracing like, yeah, I want to be bored, I want to suffer. It's not that. It's just saying when it comes, like we know how to process it. You're not far away, God. You're even closer than we realize. And I'm going to lean in. But, but I, th I think that the trouble is this. As beautiful as that, as, that, as that sounds, I think what keeps us from seeing that beauty and what keeps us from staying there. Because a lot of times we'll leave a moment like this and we're overwhelmed by, yeah, look what you have done for me. But then we kind of go back to life and we quickly forget that reality, even as followers of Jesus. 
And, and I think that happens because if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that many times we're just so overwhelmed with subtle distractions instead of spiritual disciplines. Now, I know I just said a bad word in church. Discipline in church. Like some of you guys who are new, you're like, I'm not coming back to this church. I knew it. But hold on, let me, let me explain. So, so we're in this season right now, which is called Lent. And I think Lent has, has gotten a bad rap over the years because it's turned, in just to a, it's turned into just a religious routine for many people. Right, like I'm going to give up some sweets or I'm going to go on a good diet. Uh, and, it, and it's kind of, the focus has, shift, has shifted from God in this season onto us. When the whole purpose of the season was to get the focus off of us and onto him. So you may not even know what Lent means. Lent in, Lent in Old English simply means um, to lengthen. It's, it's this, this idea that the springtime is here and the, days, the daylight is extended and new life is springing forth. Isn't that beautiful? And it's a time that, that we're able to, uh, to, to celebrate and to reflect on the victory, the light, the life, and the overwhelming, overcoming power of God uh, that overthrew darkness, that overthrew sin and the grave. It's a time that we kind of reflect, and as we're making our way towards Easter, we're, we're reconsidering our life. We're looking to say, man, are there some empty systems in my life? Are there some things that I'm trusting in that are leading me to empty places? A lot of times we don't even have the time or the capacity for God to examine our hearts because we're just going. Like you see this millennial girl, she took time to say, hey, man, the system's broken. I've traveled a lot of places. I'm, I'm empty. And she reconsidered. But I'm just wondering if sometimes we're so distraction, we're just subtle distractions that we don't even have time to, con- to reconsider our relationship with God. Lord, how are we doing? Our relationship with our family and others and friendships, like how are we, how am I really doing? And, and Lent is a great time to just kind of say, all right, let's, let's reflect, let's look and see and ask God to reveal the broken places. Ask God to reveal those things in our nose and in our heart that we might be able to Get rid of those things and embrace the fullness that God has for us. And so, so when I say spiritual disciplines, I know, like I said, what does that mean? Let me break it down for you real quick. Let me show you. Spiritual disciplines, just some basic stuff. Like meditation. The Bible says that, that King David, he meditated on God's word day and night. And he was a king. And he made time for that. Just saying. Meditation on God's word. Like who has time for it? Meditating on God's word, like, no, we need to create some space. And, and what about prayer? What about actually just having some, some significant moments with God in prayer, right? Uh, fasting, not just going on a diet. See, during the season of Lent, it's like, hey, I'm going to try to lose 10 pounds. Like, that's not the point. <laughs> fasting is awesome. If you want to do it to fast and lose weight and do all those things, great. You should do that. But that's not the purpose of this kind of fasting. The purpose of this kind of fasting is setting something aside that, that, that we're kind of attached to, that we kind of love, that, that reminds us of our desperation and our need for a Savior. That reminds us of how much, how weak, how feeble sometimes we actually are and how much we really need God. I, I thought this was, was a good one was study. I can think we have a ton of people today that read their Bible but don't study it. Like, when was the last time you actually just dove in and studied a passage, right? 
you actually took time to ask some questions. Like, like maybe we can reorder some things. What about solitude? I think solitude, man, some of us need it. Some of us just need some quiet space. If you have to lock yourself in the bathroom, do it. And just breathe and just say, man, when's the last time you were just alone with God and said, I'm just going to be still and know that you're God. I'm just going to take a moment just to be still and know that you were God. What about submission to the word of God? Like, like that's a great heart check to say, Lord, I know a lot about your word and I actually read it a lot. But are you submitted to the word of God? And what areas of your life are not submitted? Let Jesus move and work in those places. And what about service? Like actually engaging in the mission of moving people closer to God and closer to others, making disciples. Like who are you investing in? You know, we try to provide clear pathways to, to, to make a starting place with our dream team. But it, dream team was never meant to be an ending place. It was meant to be a starting place that you just get used to serving people as a rhythm of your life to help move them closer to God and others. Repentance. Like maybe there's some things that God wants to deal with on the inside of you. Maybe there's some sin. Maybe there's some systems, some patterns that are leading you constantly to a place of thirstiness and emptiness. And it's time to deal with that stuff. Like, like what about worship? Some of the greatest moments of worship that I have are not in this building. They're in my hashtag garage office with Jesus by myself when it's freezing and I got two jackets and a beanie on. Some of the best times are in those moments. And, and what about guidance? Some of us desperately need guidance, but we don't have time for relationships. And God has put people in our life. That's why, once again, we try to make pathways clear with small groups. We're not trying to pressure anybody to get in a group. We're trying to provide a pathway for you to connect with some, with some godly people that, that, that want to see God's best for you. But maybe, maybe it's, I don't know what guidance looks like, but I know that it can't happen apart from relationships. So do you have time for these things? And then lastly, celebration. Like when's the last time? Maybe you just found a place. And if you can't get on your knees, it's okay. But, but you just, and you know, I got white shoes on, so I got to be very careful how I kneel. Uh, but you were just in that, in the moment where you just, come on, we can laugh in church. We can laugh in church. But when is the last time that you just had a moment of just gratitude and celebration and just honoring Thanking the Lord, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the trial, for the fact that, man, the great exchange has happened. His fortune is now your fortune. Your name is written in heaven. Listen, this earth is passing away very quickly. But listen, all who trust in him will never be put to shame. That those who put their, their faith in him promise eternal life, promise his presence here on earth. Eternal life is not just a life later. It's relationship with God now, John says. Like, when's the last time we just celebrated that? But we, we have so many subtle distractions that we lack spiritual disciplines. Now, I, 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 want, I want to give you kind of the, this picture of what discipline is supposed to look like because I think we get a distorted perspective. Spiritual disciplines were never meant to be a chore but an invitation. An invitation to rearrange the habits of our life to delight in God and see how much God delights in us. That's what it means. To have spiritual disciplines in our life. Right? It's, it's an invitation to experience the grace of God and put ourselves in a position before him that he might transform us. That's what it's about. See, every athlete that's successful, 
they embrace the discipline because of the results. But what they find is that those disciplines that started as a discipline normally turn into a delight. And they start off a little because it's not the normal rhythm and pattern, but they rearrange their lives around these particular habits. And, and they're getting a particular result for a crown that's going to fade. How much more for a crown that will never fade should we rearrange our life in such a way? And so, so I, 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 I get this, this, let me paint one last picture for you. In, in this desert in Israel, in this Judean wilderness, right next to Qumran, there's a place called En Gedi. And again, it's close to the Dead Sea, but there's just emptiness and desolation all around. It's hot, it's dry, it's empty. But then in the middle of all that, let me show you a picture, is this. And, and I, I just, I get this picture. I wonder how many of us are like in the Judean wilderness and, and we're running all on the cliffs and the hillsides around this, this oasis. And we're parched and we're thirsty and we're dry and there's emptiness. And it's like right there. But, but our lives are just, we just got all these subtle distractions that are just, I just I can never find time to jump in. And, and what, what a spiritual discipline does is it simply rearranges your life to step into the pond underneath the waterfall of God's grace, of his love, of his power, and refresh your soul. Are you tracking with that? And so, so but, but something's got to change in the rat race because it's like, it's right there, but I just can't. Uh. This is full of subtle distractions instead of spiritual disciplines. And, and this can look, you know, spiritual disciplines happen by daily and weekly choices. Like I can't, I can't make you do anything, nor would I ever try. God, that's the beautiful thing about preaching, is my job isn't to change your heart. My job is to declare the truth and let God change your heart. It takes so much pressure off me. It's refreshing. But let me just give you some examples of some weekly and daily choices that you could take. You know, m maybe as we journey over, as we approach Easter, the resurrection, of our Savior. Maybe, maybe we just rearrange our day around a prayer time. Like what if we restructured our day around prayer? You say, well, you, my, my job and like, come on. Like I remember, I, I know what it's like to work two jobs. I know what it's like to work three jobs. But man, you find moments for breaks. You can find like there is a way to make some time for God. Maybe, maybe it's just, you know, you're going to kneel three, maybe you can't kneel, maybe you're going to stand three times a day and pray. I don't know, but what if you restructured your day a little bit around prayer? Like, I don't want you to pick all of these, but maybe just pick one that's resonating. What about you just decided you're going to share one meal with others? If you have a family, it'd be great, man. Get up an hour early and have, sit at the table and interact and dialogue with one another. Talk about this reality of this great exchange with one another. Like, like, what if you did an hour with the phone off? Let me tell you what I did. God super convicted me of this. Now when I come home every day, my phone stays in the car. So if I don't text you back, that's why. My phone stays in my car until my girls are in bed. And so now it's just kind of, a lot of times it'll just stay there, period, till the next day. Why? And, and the richness is, it, it's, it's crazy. Because I was like, hey, where's my phone? I can't take a picture. Instagram. This is a moment. And the Lord's like, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Right? I'm not hating on Instagram. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Scripture before phone might be a great simple discipline. Like what if you put your phone in the living room and you put your Bible by your bed? 
even if you have to buy an alarm clock, buy an old alarm clock, right? Weekly habits, a conversation with a friend. Maybe you need some guidance. Man, schedule it. Put it on the map. Maybe you could curate your media for four hours to, to four hours a week. You'll get a lot more precise in, in what you're focused on and you'll probably appreciate, you know, the things that you watch or the, how you're surfing or whatever a little bit more because there's, there's a little bit, of, little bit of restriction there. What about fasting something for 24 hours? You could do social media. You could do food. You can't, don't fast like, like you can't fast from your family or anything like that. Don't do that. Um, I'm just going to get away for 24 hours. <laughs> Maybe that's okay. I don't know. But can I just speak to this last one as a Sabbath? You know what's so beautiful about a Sabbath? Is it reminds you that you're not in charge of the world. It reminds you of who's in charge of your life. But I can't, I gotta get all this stuff done. Settle down. The creator of the universe will make up for what you cannot do. He can do a whole lot better than you and I. Are you tracking with that? Now you say, well, I can't, I work seven days a week. I get it. Then try to find a way to create a Sabbath in your day where you can just get away and unplug and be with God, I'm telling you. Because then what you'll find is rather than being overwhelmed with distractions, these disciplines will start to overwhelm your distractions. And the game starts to change. We start to see what's broken, see that we desperately need Jesus. No matter if you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, can I tell you, you're just as desperate today as you were in the beginning. And if you, and if you think any, any different, any different than that, you're middle class. You've lost sight. You've lost sight. So get back to the, that reality of, man, Lord, apart from you, as Jesus said, I can do nothing. So let me leave you with this. Let me leave you with this. What discipline do you need in place to overwhelm your distraction this week? Just pick one. Invite the Lord into it and see what happens.